You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon. This week's show is all about theatre and, fittingly, for the first new show of the new year, both my guests today are new on the show, at least new in my era of the show. And that is also something of an embarrassment as they are both artistic directors and pillars of their respective theatrical communities. I'm not sure how I managed to get within throwing distance of my two-year show anniversary without having them on Speaking of the Arts before now. but I am glad to be able to remedy that today. Later in the show, the artistic director for the Maples Repertory Theatre in Macon, Todd Davison, will be joining me in the studio to talk about the theatre company and this year's summer season. My first guest today is probably one of the best-loved women working in the Columbia theatre world because she's in the business of creating profound, uplifting and lifelong memories for young actors. Jill Womack founded Tripp's Children's Theatre 20 years ago and is now introducing her second generation of actors, artists, audiences and advocates to the performing arts. It is a huge delight to welcome Chips Children's Theatre's founder and artistic director Jill Womack to Speaking of the Arts. Hello Jill. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. How have I not had you on before now? It's really You're busy. Shocking. Adrian's just busy. <laughs> you know too many people. <laughs> There's a lot of people There's out a, there in the theatre world. We're so art rich in Columbia. How we are. I'm, it's a it's a big long list. I'm a W. I, uh, I can live with that. <laughs> I should start at the Z's and work forwards. <laughs> now, you started out life as an actor with a degree in speech and drama I from did. Mizzou. You've acted across the country. You've taught and studied theatre in the United Kingdom. You've received a Kennedy Center Award of Excellence, mm-hmm. written original work for a Kennedy Center festival, and studied under Burt Reynolds. But- Which was so fun. <laughs> And Charles Nelson Riley, who was hilarious and a brilliant teacher. So he was so wonderful. So Charles wore a toupee, which not everyone knows. But if you were particularly brilliant and or stinky, he would throw it at you. (laughs) Were you ever particularly? Yeah, I was pelted. I was pelted with the Multiple times. And I said, should I... Do you want me to wear it? Why are you doing this? And he goes, well, if it helps the scene, just put it on. It's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so what did you learn from them, from Bert? What did you take away from that time? They were really excellent teachers. So um, what I learned mostly from Charles is the, the pa- well, from both of them, their saying was the black on the page are the landmarks and the guideposts from the playwright and the white on the page is your job. And so they taught me to throw away, as a director even now, I throw away stage directions because that's somebody else's idea of what the show is. Hmm. And so often the kids will say, but that's not what happened in, that's not what happened in the stage play or in the film. And I said, yes, but this is our, this is our work and this is our interpretation. So what can we bring to the white on the page? What can we do with that? And so they really taught me to make choices that weren't just 
gimmies, you know? So it was really fun to be in class with them and surprise them. You know, if I had a character who was really quiet and didn't say much in the scene, they would always say, but why is that? What are you doing? What's hindering you? What's the obstacle? And so in one scene, I decided she was a secret drinker because the sisters were so crazy. And so I just kind of scooted over and let the other two sisters hash it out and pulled a flask out of my little purse. And Charles was like, and then I got the toupee again. He was like, that is wonderful. So... (laughs) That they really taught you to to justify through action and choices greater than what's on the page. And that became really liberating um, as an actor and as a director because you're not sewn into, well, this is the way it's always been done. And then everything becomes a challenge and a fresh blank page, really. So, I mean, the words on the page that the playwright has written are kind of sacred. Yeah, they're sacred. But the stage directions are not? No. Huh. Well, it could be to some people, but not to me. (laughs) So 20 years ago, you kind of stepped off the stage and you dedicated Mm -hmm. your career Mm -hmm. to children's theatre. Why did you do that? I did a play in North Carolina, which is where I was introduced to children's theatre. And I really had never done children's theatre at all before. Um, And my line was something like, I hate that man. I hope I never see him again. And this little kid in the front row looks up at me and he goes, he's right behind you. And it was kind of a Grinch moment. You know, my heart grew 12 sizes that day. And I thought, this is the most important theater I can ever do because these kids are all in. And if I can teach them that theater is this magically wonderful place where we come together as community and we learn life lessons together and we learn to be better people together and we learn to be an empathetic community together and I can get you to be hooked in for life, whether you're on the stage as an artist or in the audience or as an advocate, then what a great purposeful life. And so I came home to start trips. Do you not miss being on the stage? I have so many details in my noggin right now that RAM space is not available for lines. (laughs) So it's kind of of a blessing for the audience that I'm not on stage as well. Now, when Trips first started out, the program was based on the theatre for young audiences mm-hmm. model, where adult actors mm-hmm. put on shows for children. Mm-hmm. What made you change course on that and work primarily with young actors? Well, I I really love the lickety-split world of working with grown-ups because, you know, they, they're already charged. They've got a great foundation and everybody comes in and we call it two weeks from begun to done. So in two weeks, we rehearse the show and run all 10 performances and we're done. And it's just this juicy time time of getting together and it's it's play you know you really lobbing the tennis ball and it's coming back at you as a director and, and the artist in the pool um, but the Columbia community is so invested in seeing their children on stage and I really embraced that and said okay let's try and let's try and create peer-to-peer acting and I really embraced the idea that it's as important for a child in the audience to see a peer on stage as it is for that young child on stage to perform. And so that became kind of central to to the mission of let's see, let's set a very high bar for the kids on stage and, and let's really inspire kids watching their peers on stage when I can do that too. If they can do that, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so that became more central to what we were doing. So kind of morphed as a need um, an answer to what the community was asking and then embracing what that meant to have a peer-to-peer acting uh, performance opportunity. The adult mm-hmm. theater world is so rich. I mean, there are so many people mm-hmm. out there. I mean, yeah. I can't begin to imagine how many children must be in the children, child acting world. I mean, there must be so many young people. We're so excited. So this year, we the last two years, we're just so thankful to the whole community and to the parents who, who get what theater is, that it's not just 
you know, this flaky fly by night, something, something. They really understand the deeper message of theater is that we're building confidence and character and we're teaching children to be seen and heard and have an opinion and understand who they are. And and the kids really understand what leadership and teamwork and, and, and I come back to empathy because I think that's such a great thing that theater teaches. And so when the, the parents really embrace that message, it becomes more than enrolling a child in a theater class or a camper. They really understand that we're going after character. That That's mm-hmm. what we're really after. So I always call it characters building character. Um, and so this year and last year, we're, we're so thankful. We've had a thousand children in our program on the stage or in the classroom, which is so exciting. And then and then add that exponentially with the number of kids in the audience. So um, I, I really love that TRIPS is is, is we really the reach now, you know, that R in our name of theater reaching young people in schools, that R has really seeped out into the mid-Missouri area, and we're so grateful. How far afield do children come to be in trips? I, mean, it's, I guess it's not just Columbia. Oh, no. Um, Fulton, Ashland, really, if it's a 75-mile radius, either the schools are coming to the weekday school performances or children are traveling from Hallsville, Harrisburg, Moberly. And they're coming. And it, it speaks honestly to the importance of what we're doing and to the artists that we have in the classroom. I, I love our teaching artists are just as passionate about theater and as passionate about education as I am. And, you know, that's a magical mix when you've got such a great team. I'm sure that working with child actors is not for it's everybody, it's but you obviously have a passion for it. I have, like... <laughs> I have so many stories. One of my one of my favorites is um, <laughs> that I went backstage and one of the little boys was staring into a bare light bulb and I'm I'm like Jacob, what can you explain this process to me that you're going through here? And he says, Well, you know, Miss Chrissy comes out on stage and she cries in this scene. And I said, Yeah, she's really good. And he says, Well, I don't know how to do that, so I'm just going to stare in this light bulb until I can create some tears. I'm like, Okay, we're going to work on the process then. <laughs> That's not going to help you. <laughs> but I love your uh, your passion and your creativity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but And it took me a long time to figure out, um, I call it fanny acting, because the kids will turn their backs to the audience. And it took me a couple of years to figure that out. And I finally figured out that they, we call it cheating out. I say the only place you can cheat in life is on the stage. So cheating out is, is turning out so that the audience can see you, and yet I can be engaged and talk to the actors on stage. Well, it took me forever to figure out that they were turning around because they were watching the play. <laughs> and I would just ease up next to them. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, well, hey, Miss Jill, what's up? And I'm like, the play's pretty good. And they're like, yeah, it's really good. I'm like, are you in the play or in the audience? And they're like, well, I'm in the play. And I'm like, then turn around so I can see you. <laughs> and it's awesome. They're like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I will do that. <laughs> It's adorable. It's adorable. Or they'll come out without their shoes on. And I'll say, what's up with that? <laughs> and they'll say, well, you know, the play is really good. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> and they'll say, so I was doing my costume change, but this part of the play is really good. And I didn't get my shoes on, but I didn't know if you'd be more upset that I wasn't on stage in the scene or if I didn't have my shoes on. I said, good problem solving, but let's put the shoes on and finish the costume change and then you can watch the play. How about <laughs> happy medium and they're like okay <laughs> yeah that's frustrating because I mean they're on the stage they don't get to sit in the audience I mean yeah. is, there, is there a way that you know one of them can sit out and you have an understudy so they all get to watch the play at some point nope nope <laughs> that's the joy of being in the show <laughs> 
and it's it's just fascinating. So just teaching them, just watching the growth, you know, just watching that growth from the kid who's going to stare in the light bulb to the kid who really can produce tears on stage and and understands what that process is and what that um, that foundational acting is all about. It's really exciting. I watched PBS's coverage of Dave Chappelle receiving the Mark Twain Award for comedy this week, and one of the things that came up time and time again was Dave Chappelle's belief that his role was to create memories. Mm. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yeah. That's what you're yeah, doing. Absolutely. Theirs and mine, really. Um, kids are amazed when I, I, they'll come up to me years later and I can say, you were in this class and you did this show and this show and this, because it, it just becomes part of my DNA that they're part of my life as much as, you know, I'm part of theirs. And so to watch, you know, their family. Well, that's what Trips is. It's, it's family. Mm. So how can you not have great memories of all these mom- monumental em- mm-hmm. uh, moments in, in family. Your lineup for this year, looking at mm-hmm. it, they're all musicals. You've got Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Newses. Oh, and kids don't know what that is, Diana. This Chitty group, Chitty Bang Bang. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. They have no idea. And most people don't know it's that quite Ian old. Fleming wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I know. I know. People I didn't don't know even know that. It's James <laughs> Bond for kids. It's fantastic. And look at the fancy car. I mean, you took it right from James Bond. It's right. a fancy car. Uh, but yeah, I love I love this. I actually had to have a screening of the, of the film to make them see what it was all about. Right. I know. So it, I mean, it's 1968. It's a long while ago. My gift to you, children. <laughs> Yay! You're welcome. <laughs> so, so they're all musicals, and I'm curious: mm-hmm. is it easier in some way to work with young actors that you're doing singing, dancing, and acting rather than just plain acting? Why? Why all musicals? I really uh, believe in having maximum stage time for the kids, and musicals give us that. So if if I did a you know if I did all that fantastic Shakespeare I might be Benvolio and have oh my lord she approacheth and that's it and I just don't feel like that's enough of a challenge right. and so I also really respect our audiences really love musicals and so I feel like it's a nice balance between name recognition for the audiences to want to come and you know take time away from home and make time to come to theater but I also feel like it gives maximum stage time to everybody. Now last year Mm -hmm. you produced your 100th trips show. Isn't that wild? That is pretty wild. It was how I became a pirate. Which was wonderful. How do you choose your programming? I mean, there's so much out there. I guess not everything is is suitable for children, but I mean, what are your considerations when you're choosing your year? I love plays that are based on literature. I love, that's like, if I can do that, that's great. Because then, like Matilda last summer, we can all read that, that together. We can all uh, learn a deeper knowledge of the text, a deeper knowledge of the characters. Um, if it's on a school's reading list, I'm really up for that. I love embracing the curriculum coming into the stage. Um, I think that's wonderful. Um, uh, has it been done before? That's a big one, too. Matilda hadn't been done regionally. Uh, we're going to do Nemo a year from now, and I hope we'll be the first, the premiere production of that as well. So I love picking Chitty. We're the first ones to do Chitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love doing that of just bringing something new to the stage. We were the first to do Legally Blonde. Um, then we've started a couple of new programs. So with Trips Edge, I, I decided that uh, the young adult actors were not being showcased anywhere in town you know they go straight from doing little mermaid to doing you know spam a lot at cec and i said well there's not really a bridge there is there so uh we worked with several wonderful directors and we created 
an edge program. So we've done Spring Awakening in concert. We've done Heather's, the musical. And we really give a place, because usually when you see Heather's, it's like 27-year-olds playing high school students. And I said, yeah, but what, what does that look like if it's really a high school student playing that part? Mm. And I talked with parents and said, this material isn't anything your children aren't hearing, seeing, being challenged by, not understanding. So let's let's put that on stage and have a thoughtful conversation about it. And it was really important. Doing Heather's was really important to the students. They they got that material. They understood the importance of that material. And it, it was really a spectacular production. Um, so we really hope to bring, bring that element back to our seasons as well. And then we're just launching the Spring Q Players, which will be an LGBTQ-friendly allies and students to come together and talk about who they are, what they bring, enriching the community artistically. They can devise work. We may gender bend some work. We've done an all women all women cast of the importance of being earnest. So now what does that look like if we embrace the huge LGBTQ banner and wrap that around a show? What mm. does that look like? So I think it's in its infancy, but where it can go and what it, I think have deep roots of conversation in uh, the community I is really important. I was going to ask you about that because I think mm-hmm. some of the other young theatres around the country, mm-hmm. um, Minneapolis Children's Theatre, Seattle Children's Theatre, they are producing and creating works that address mm-hmm. social issues, whether it's mm-hmm. abuse or divorce mm-hmm. or death or mm-hmm. bullying, and how much you feel that is part of your mission going forward to introduce those topics right. and, and have children deal with them on stage. I think that theatre is such a great space to create moments of thoughtful and um, open communication because if it's if it's not in a heated moment if it's I'm watching this work and now I'm going to have a conversation about this work I think it's a healing moment I think it's a a moment for all of us to open our eyes and open our hearts and and just talk so I'm really excited about what cute players can bring to the community I'm really excited about what edge performances can bring to the to the community and so I, I love the arc that trips is you know we've got training in the classroom we've got the wonderful you know youth theater musicals and then and then this more rich contextual social challenge of edge and of cue and i think i think that's a really great Mm. place to live we i feel like the the palette of what we're doing just increases well, tell me a little bit about the casting process for children mm-hmm. because I mean it's it's very difficult as an adult finding out that you know you haven't got into a show or an art exhibit or something that your mm-hmm. your best hasn't been good enough somehow. How do you gently ease the young actors mm-hmm. through that process of like you haven't been chosen for this part? So when I first started trips, we we did the auditions where they came in and they read for us and they went away. And then I would have to call this eight-year-old and say, yeah, you didn't get cast. And I'm crying, and they're crying, and it's hideous. And I'm thinking, this is not working. So we tried to create an opportunity. And it, it's really helped now that we have such a great pool of artists. So we create um, an opportunity for everybody who auditions. So either we recommend a class that's right for you and is the right challenge for you. Because being frustrated in an audition and a rehearsal process isn't what I want anyone to live there. I really want to find the place where you're going to shine and where you're going to grow. So either a class, and then we take with, like with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, we'll have an encore cast. So we have a group that abridges it down even further from a Broadway. So the Broadway is like the full three hours. We do a junior is our what we call our main stage show. It's an hour. It's performed in the theater for schools and public. And then we have encore, which is pulling that down even tighter to maybe a 30-minute production, and then using it as a class educational 
uh, platform and then families come to the open house and and see the, their show and so everybody's got a place that they really can get a stronger foundation underneath them and learn to risk because I think the two things that really are the foundations for great acting are focus and risk and empathy I'll say three and so where can I put you where you can really explore all three of those and then learn to grow so the kids come into an audition workshop now where they learn the material so they'll spend time in acting they'll spend time in music they'll spend time in dance they get to know everything it's a a level playing field because even if I've done 15 shows I have no idea what's coming at me this day and then we rotate the kids through those um, different uh, disciplines and then they come back for the auditions but I can send them out the door with here are the scenes you're going to read. Here is the music you're going to sing. Here's where you can find things on YouTube. And we can give them a way to study and prepare when they come back. And then we don't close the door. We open the door. So if I'm reading for a part and you're reading for a part, we'll both watch each other read. Because I think that's important. Because when the cast list goes up, I can say, yeah, Diana was really good in that. But this is my part, and I was really good in that. So it gives us a way to... Um, kind of not judge each other but say oh yeah that's how that person tells the story uh yeah that's how they that fits for them I get that now and so it it helps take away that moment of shock or disappointment when the cast list comes up because we've all been a part of that process and we've all seen each other's work and we've all gotten behind each other so we call it a no diva zone you know everybody's part of the story Mm -hmm. and if I if I don't have this person it changes the whole show it changes the whole timbre of the whole show so how can we embrace each other and say everybody is equally important it's not about having 50 lines it's about what you bring to tell that story so I think when we approach it that way Mm -hmm. I, I it's been very successful it's taken that edge off of why can't I have that part right but we also we're also open door and feedback you know if they say well I'm not getting these big parts what's happening and I can say you're going up against kids who are taking private voice lessons how can we help you find a voice teacher you're going up against people who can tap dance what are you gonna do about that um do you really want to do this then go take that improv class because you need to learn how to trust your instinct and make big choices on the in the moment so go do that so we can really sit down with a student and say here are the goals and steps to if you really want this dig in and here you go so it then it becomes then then it puts the onus back on the kid of saying if I really want this this is the work I have to do Mm -hmm. so it's not like I want to be a classical pianist um I just give me the music and I'll just play chopsticks you know we say if you want to be that classical classical pianist here's the steps you have to take to get there and we're behind you how can we help you so in the time that we have left which Mm -hmm. is short because time flies um tell us a little bit about your first production of the year which is as we said earlier chitty chitty bang bang oh it's so exciting so the car the car is happening thank you greg wack and luke robeson i'm so grateful um uh, it's uh a great team. I'm going to direct and the wonderful Sam Boisclair Cook is going to choreograph and Joy Martin is our music director. The kids are cast. They are going to start rehearsal. We thought tomorrow, but Mother Nature is I don't mm. think going to cooperate with us. So. <laughs> so we'll start on the 18th and they spend every Saturday they'll rehearse and then in May we'll perform at Columbia College uh, at Lawner Auditorium. We also have a great fundraiser coming up for grown-ups. It's called Broads on Broadway. It's a time to be just a little little naughty on Mardi Gras and it is our wonderful 
Tripp's kids are going to gender swap. So the boys are singing Broadway girl songs and the girls are singing Broadway guy songs. And then we have some wonderful drag artists. Our queens are coming to sing a little Broadway tunes with us as well. That is so much fun. So fun. It's going to be at the Penguin on Mardi Gras every 25th. And if you call the Tripp's office, I'll help you find a way to get tickets for that. <laughs> it's on the Facebook. You can get to events that way. And I love it. I just think it's great to to um, bring a lively little wink and a nod to fun and Broadway uh, on Broadway. So that'll be a blast. How much are tickets for that? I think they're just 20. <gasps> it's I a know. bargain. I know it's going to be such a fun evening. <laughs> Such a fun evening. But we have uh, spring break uh, camp coming up as the Descendants, which is the second generation of evil uh, villains. And that will be a ball. And we are sign- And we have six weeks of summer camp coming up. Wow. Uh, I know. It's busy, busy. But we offer classes for um, toddlers all the way through college. So cradle to college. We, we've got How a How do you place. fit it all into the day? It is a busy day. <laughs> but it's a wonderful day. Yep. Thank you so much, Thank you Jill. Me. I appreciate it. My first act guest today is Trip's artistic director, Jill Womack. The first Trip show of 2020 will be Ian Fleming's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Junior, which will be performed at Columbia College's Launa Auditorium on May 8th, 9th, and 10th, followed by Newses this summer. Thanks, I know. Jill. So exciting. Thank you. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. And after a short break, I'll be chatting to Todd Davison, the artistic director for the Maples Repertory Theatre in Macon to find out what they have planned for their 2020 season. Don't wander off. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. My good friend Monica Palmer, founder of Speaking of the Arts, goes to more theatre shows per year than anyone else I know. And I am fortunate that her husband doesn't share her zeal to quite the same degree as sometimes I get to be her theatre date. And she takes me to theatres that I probably wouldn't rouse myself to get to. Theatres such as the Liberty Centre Association for the Arts in Sedalia and the Maples Repertory Theatre in Macon. They are both so close, yet with such a panic plea of theatre offerings in Colombia, it requires a little more concerted effort to achieve escape velocity from Colombia, but it is most definitely worth it. Last fall, Monica organised a girls' road trip to Macon to see the comedy thriller Death Trap at the Maples Repertory Theatre, which was excellent, and I rather fell in love with the gorgeous historic theatre. And so I am delighted to welcome to the Speaking of the Arts studio, Todd Davison, Artistic Director for the Maples Repertory Theatre. Hello, Todd. Hello. Great to see you again. Thanks very much. (laughs) Now, usually when I'm preparing to chat to someone on the show, I mine Google for information about them so that I know a little about them and their background, because we almost all have an online footprint except you, which I'm curious about. How can you have such a significant job and be almost undetectable? Are you, in fact, in the witness protection program? (laughs) No, I'm not. And, uh, you know, when I Google myself, uh, there's a young guy who's like a hockey player who has my name. And there's a guy who works for, like, climate science or something like that. And so his stuff comes up all the time. Yeah, but there was nothing about you. So so in the absence of any information, (laughs) fill us in. Who are you, Todd Davis? I'd I'd, I'd be interested to know just what you could kind of make up. I bet you've got some great ideas. (laughs) Tell us about you. So uh, I grew up in Macon. Uh, Most of my life has been there. 
I went to school at Graceland University in Lamona, Iowa. And so I was in Iowa for about, uh, I went to school normally, and then I stayed up there for a couple of years and worked for the college in public relations and did some recruiting and art stuff for them there. And uh, then I came back to Macon um, in the late 1980s and my family was in the grocery business at that time and so I came back to work with my father in the grocery store and we built a new store in 1990 and uh, but all the time I was itching to continue to do art stuff my background in Macon was we have a robust community theater uh, there in Macon Carousel Productions that was started in 1978 I was in eighth grade so I was per perfect for like part of that founding thing I was just so excited and we did shows and stuff then my sister and I had a puppet troupe. It was just the two of us, but the troupe. Uh, uh, we did puppet shows all over uh, for a number of years when I was in elementary and middle school and high school um, to all the ladies' programs and children's birthday parties and all that kind of stuff. So my, I always say that kind of my founding theatrical experience was in the puppet stage where you can create the character, make the costume, you know, write the script, do the voices. You get to do everything. So it's, it's really kind of a great training for what I do now where I kind of have my hands in a lot of things because there you were everything so so that's kind of that's the the broad stroke of where I was so I came back here to work with my family in um, the grocery business but after just a very short time the old theater the Royal Theater in um, Macon where I had gone to movies when I was a kid was in fairly bad disrepair and buckets around with water coming in and stuff like that um, you know when you went to see a show and all that sort of thing and so I found out that the um, the ownership of the theater had fallen to the Chamber of Commerce because they didn't want it to close you know they wanted some place for kids to go and uh, so it was coming up and so I ended up purchasing the Royal Theater property in 1991 and um, so I actually own that space and then I just release it out to other people who use it, including Maple's Repertory Theater. Wow, I didn't know you owned the building. That yeah. is a gorgeous building. Yep, it was, a, yes, it's been a labor of love and it's been a money pit in every way, you know. <laughs> For a number of years, the community theater did some shows there too as we were doing the renovations. So it would just look like it was a fallen down derelict building on the outside, but we really started our renovations from the inside out, which was great for theater. And the public was wondering, how come for years you guys have been working on this, but you don't, it looks, it looks such a mess. Well, we put in plumbing in the basement and, and concrete floors in the basement, you know, and, and worked all that from the, from the inside guts all the way out. And then finally, um, in the early 2000s, we were able to restore or fix anyway, um, the exterior of the building. And so at that point, I thought maybe it's time to invite the general public in a broader way. And so this little germ of an idea for this uh, regional theater that I'd had for many years kind of began to come to fruition. And that was in 2003 and four. Backing up a little bit to the puppets. So mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> you and your sister mm -hmm. made all the puppets. You wrote all the scripts. It wasn't just you know, Punch and Judy. No, uh, my mother, actually, I need to give the shout out to her. She was the seamstress, really. So I would say, make this nose. I want this nose. Oh, no, it needs to be fatter. You know, it needs to be greener or whatever, you know. So she she always, you know, made my sister's clothes and some clothes for me, you know. But so we were, we thrust her into this world of, I want something I can put my hand all the way in. You know, I want fingers to articulate and stuff like that. We would just make up. And most of the shows that we um, did were kind of variety show, sort of variety show-esque. You know, they looked like old uh, 
the old Muppet Show in a lot of ways, in that there were musical things, and then there would be more scripted moments, and we put together scripts that we would find, and then we'd say, oh, this is a funny song, it'd be fun if a witch sang this song, or it'd be funny if a monster sang this song, and so that's that's the sort of stuff we did. And you're what age at this point? Um, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. My, the very first show I did uh, was called Storybook Turnabout, and I was in fourth grade. And it was a little one of those little stories where the, all the fairy tale characters wanted to be some other character or whatever, you know, so they switched, they swapped. And um, this one I used kids from school, so I, built, I painted this backdrop and I built this stage, and I had these puppets that I made, and I forced these other kids who were my friends, or they were when we started, to be in this show, because there was a whole bunch of characters in that. But soon we learned to just make it so that this, my sister and I could do it. Then when she went to college, she was three years older than me. For a couple years I did things myself, and then I really had to pare down to where I even built a smaller stage, so I, something that I could do totally for myself. And those were the days of cassette tapes and stuff. You know, if I wanted like background music, I would record it on a cassette and I'd sit there and stuff it, you know, push it while I was going. I mean, it was, the technology was just amazing that we used. I had a little keyboard, a little early keyboard, one of those where you push the button and it made a chord, you know, so I could like play with one hand. I could like be puppeting, you know, with one hand and be like playing my accompaniment with the other. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> such a multitasker <laughs> yes. that is fabulous so so had you seen a puppet show like what inspired you in I have no idea no um, you know at the state fair there was a troop of marionette people um, who were always there and then they were at uh, resident at Worlds of Fun for a few years I can't remember it's a family group and they were marionettes you know and we n were never really had marionettes too much except I had a couple of marionettes so we threw in a little number you know where, where uh, my hand went out over the regular stage and then the marionette was down the floor you know so we tried a little bit of everything I don't know exactly what I had seen I'm sure I'd seen just the odd puppet show I can remember a little puppet show I saw at East Hill Shopping Center in St. Joseph when I was real real small but yeah I don't know where it came from. <laughs> and then did you, what did you study at college? Well, I was a keyboard performance major for one year and two days. And then, you know, I decided, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm not going to be a concert pianist. I mean, I always played, you know, and I enjoy it and I still play. Um, but, you know, that's just a rarefied thing that I, I knew, I realized I knew nothing about and it was, you know, not the sort of thing that I wanted to do. I don't want to spend that many hours in a practice room. And so I just closed my music major and I ended up being a business administration major, you know, that old old saw that we used to have <laughs> back in the 80s. And But then I was still, I was at Graceland University, which was a little liberal arts school, about a thousand students. And so it was one of those places where you could do everything. You could be your human puppet, you know, you could be in all these things. So I was in all the musical ensembles and theater, you know, still, but trying to finish this other degree. So um, they had a liberal studies program where you could kind of put a program together. So I also included a major that's called performing arts management, which is similar to like music business curriculums are now, but that really didn't exist at that time. It was a way for me to put my marketing and theater and music stuff kind of into a package that seemed to kind of make a little bit of sense. But the puppetry went away. That wasn't well, pretty much. I guess did. there aren't really degrees in puppetry. Well, in not Iowa. around here. No, not around here. Yeah. 
But I do still use puppets sometimes. The show we just closed, uh, Every Christmas Story Ever Told, and uh, Maple's Rep. We had it's three guys, and they do all the Christmas stories you can think of. So it's real. It, it feels improvised, and so we needed more characters in this one little bit. And so I said, "Oh, well, let's just use some puppets." So I went and got out of the box, and we got two puppets, and we give them to the customer, and they dress them. And so we got two elf puppets that are just out of our out of the old treasure trove. A lot of the puppets I can't get my hands in anymore, but the bigger ones, you know, are still work. Oh my goodness, that was so much more than I expected. <laughs> that was fantastic. So, okay, so going back to your current job, so you oh, are yes. the artistic director. So, what is your philosophy when it comes up when it comes to coming up with the shows for the season? Okay, a couple of things. For one, I want the season to really be varied because we're we serve a community that doesn't always Part of, our, part of our patron base doesn't get to see a lot of theater, you know, so um, obviously there are the real theatery people who come to Columbia, come to Kansas City, you know, go to Chicago, go to New York, you know, there are certainly those people around in North Missouri and mid-Missouri, but a lot of the people we have, you know, come down and say, oh, I think I'm going to go down to the theater, you know, and so, so I have a, a variety of uh, patrons, and so it's more interesting to me to do different things all the time also. So generally what happens is, um, we run and we run June through December. So we have summer, which is kind of an entity unto itself. And then fall is kind of three shows that are in stock and not in repertory. So oftentimes there's a show that I really want to do. And then I try to kind of build the season around it uh, because I know it's going to take specific people or it's going to be specifically expensive. And so I need to then make smaller shows to go with that like that. So so there's just, you know, I kind of keep a running list of things that I want to do. And then we say, okay, maybe this is the year to try that. Well, I guess, you know, your choices are obviously tempered by your location, the middle of rural mm-hmm. Missouri and your audience. Um, so I'm curious, like if you were doing, if you were the artistic director in Chicago or a bigger city, would you choose different shows? Are there things that you just can't get away with, I guess, in a rural Missouri? Yes, there are. Theater? There is some consideration of that. But for the most part, you know, we also try to kind of teach and educate our audience you know we we could do things today that we might not have been able to do in 2004 or 2005 just because you know society is different people see different things you know the stuff that folks watch um you know on streaming tv and stuff like that that a lot of issues and ideas are in the public sphere that maybe weren't so much in there in that way when we first started but yes uh there is there are some things that i think oh i just think that'd be fun to do or it's actor bait you know you would come and play you know sound of music for me if you got to do this other show you know that's a little bit edgier so my dream for that is to get a second space where we can have a you know 65 Mm -hmm. or 70 seats um, where we can do in a season a couple of shows that are a little bit you know with stronger content or a little bit edgier or a little bit artsier even you know I'm not sure that you know for the most part our audience needs to come and and be able to understand what's going on right in the beginning so we might even try some different approaches to things if we had this second space or if I was in a bigger place I think that I would mix I would probably have a little bit more of a mix of edge. Now in the summer you have two shows going on at the same time you might do a Friday matinee and a Saturday matinee that's one show and an evening show that's something else how on earth do you get two shows on the stage in the same weekend well how it works is I mean it's an old-fashioned style you know where people just do stuff in rotating rep and people don't do it very often anymore but I think it's really fun so every year we think you know this is more expensive and more trouble is it really worth it and I'm like, oh but it's so much fun you know I just love it I love when people can come so on Wednesdays and Saturdays generally are two show days for us so that 
in the morning, in the afternoon, you can see one show, and then in the evening, you see the other show. So we do the changeover during the day. So we do have a few patrons who traveled and come to Macon and have their make their day. Uh, on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, we also do our kids programming, which are usually like hour-long shows at 10 in the morning. So we have a couple of families who come at 10 in the morning, and then they go around the town or whatever and come back for the matinee, have dinner, and come back and see the evening show. So they actually see three completely different shows in a day. On one stage? On one I mean, stage. how are you physically doing this? You're well, changing the whole set. Yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. And um, so it, takes, it has to do with the programming as far as what the shows are. Um, so that it can be reasonable. And then it takes a scenic designer, you know, that wants to play that game and figure it out because this is an extra challenge for them. And then a crew, you know, that's going to accept the idea that I'm going to have them do all these changeovers. So You are the puppet master. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so for the most part, it's worked great, except that in our 15th season, oh no, 15, 10th season, I just about killed my whole scene shop. Uh, it was, I thought, oh, it's our 10th year, we've got to do this great stuff. And so we did, that season was Chicago, A Flea in Her Ear, and South Pacific. And so um, Chicago was a, a lovely show and it kind of is a unit set sort of, so that kind of worked great. But then A Flea in Her Ear has like three completely different sets and it's like, revolving doors, turning around beds, you know, a, a hotel, you know, with five doors at one time and all this. And so that's great. What a wonderful set. That'll be fun. Well, yeah, it's also got to live on Chicago and it has to live on South Pacific. So we built way too much scenery, way too much production and everybody about killed me and not a single one of those carpenters, scenic designers, or my technical director has been back. <laughs> I like ruined, I like wasted them. So that was, that was the year of, that was the cautionary tale year. Okay. So, for instance, this year, in the summertime, we have um, three shows. Uh, we start with You Can't Take It With You, which is a more traditional box set. But it's my kind of show because it's like a house that's all full of stuff. And if you go and come to my house, it looks like we could just do the show there. It's got so, so everybody has projects and You Can't Take It With You. So there's just stuff everywhere. But it's a single set. And then the next show is Greater Tuna, which is just, just two guys, and it's really about two men playing all these different roles and costumes and stuff. So, and it's at a radio station. So the idea would be that would be a set that would live kind of in front of You Can't Take It With You. And then the last show of, of the summer is Phantom of the Country Opera, which is a great big multi-scene, great a big show. But the idea is that Greater Tuna will be able to live still kind of in front of that. So. So I have to think about that pretty hard. Warning to all carpenters in the Macon area. That's right. <laughs> Don't accept calls from Todd Davison this summer. <laughs> <laughs> now, Maples Repertory Theatre is a professional theatre, so explain right. what that is. Okay, well, it means a couple of things. Um, the main thing is that it means that we hire folks who um, are making a living at the theater arts. So uh, we hired carpenters who are scenic carpenters all around as opposed to trying to find, you know, folks in the local area, you know, like a contractor or whatever, to come and help us build something. Instead, we have people who are working in the theater arts all the time. And same thing with actors. Um, we do sometimes cast local people or non-professionals in, in shows, but the way it works in the professional theater world is, you know, we have, kind of like Jill just said, it's two weeks from the beginning until we open. And so we rehearse, you know, seven or eight hours a day, and you need to be available for that two-week rehearsal time, because that's all the time you have. Have. And 
so uh, it takes a special sort of a local person to be able to do that. Um, generally a retired person or a kid. So we hire folks that are professionals. Then another part of what it sometimes means to be a professional theater is we do have a contract with Actors' Equity Association, the union of actors and stage managers in the United States. And so what that means is those folks are in a union just like any other union where they have people who are looking out for their all, all their uh, needs. And um, it used to be that those were the people who had insurance and pension responsibilities that they were taking care of. Uh, nowadays with Obamacare, it's a little bit easier for a, especially a young actor to take contracts like with us and they can still be on their parents' insurance till they're 28. You know, so there's not as much of a need for them to have the umbrella of Actors' Equity, in my opinion. Um, but uh, we do have a contract with Actors' Equity. We're called a small professional theater contract. And our contract with Equity is that we have an equity stage manager in every production and then we have at least two equity actor contracts. So we have to have three equity contracts in each show in order to fulfill our duties to the union. And sometimes we have, you know, an extra person, um, but that's that's what that aspect of the professionalism means. So you can have non-equity and equity actors on the same stage at the same time. That is correct. Equity just needs to wants to know all the information about everyone because they solicit them to join them you know so for a show like greater tuna which only has two actors in it then right. they both have to be equity that's exactly right plus the stage manager makes the third person Correct. so what how does that uh, translate to if you're doing a musical and you have do you have live musicians uh-huh. yes do is there a similar expectation on who they are and their uh, union affiliation mid-missouri particularly is not a union musician area very much st louis even more so than kansas city uh, there's a musicians union that actually operates and works there for the most part people are all freelancers out here in this part and so um, we get musicians from uh, from all over of course Columbia is a great treasure trove for us both students and professionals who are just working around here so we get those folks and students from other universities and then we have a couple of really great local musicians who play for us kind of on a regular basis too so we always hire a music director who generally is the conductor and keyboard first keyboard and then uh, I work with the music director and say what do you think you know are the space that we use for an orchestra pit which is not actually a pit um, fits about seven or eight players as kind of total so we say okay if you could have or I might say we've got enough money for four players so you know what do you think we should have and so you know we kind of work that out right so being an equity theater doesn't preclude you from using um, non-union musicians it does not not in this place some place like in New York of course the rules are totally different Right. And the same with backstage people, technicians. Correct. They can be anybody. They don't have to be. And so the way it works, you know, here in Missouri, like I don't know how the rest, but we have actually we have union backstage hands sometimes who work union jobs other places but this is not a union area so they can okay. they can also come and work for me if they if we agree you know on a fee or whatever like that so so uh, what i understand from those people is that they have quite a bit of freedom from their union to go out and get other work if they need to okay let's talk a little bit about audience development it, it's a struggle for most theater venues in larger cities to get bottoms on the seats and i never cease to be amazed at the amount of people that go to the Lyceum Theatre in Arrowrock. I mean, it's just phenomenal. It's full all the time. How do you do it? What's your theory or your plan for audience development? Well, part of it is that as much time you can attend, as you can spend with that it usually it usually pays off but the business of our theater there are two and a half of us 
uh, full time. So, so there's just two and a half people working all year round on that. So sometimes we don't get to do that very well. So um, for my time on audience development is usually spent um, soliciting group sales and bus people. Um, because if I can sell, if I can spend 15 minutes on the phone and, you know, and get 40 people to come as opposed to two people, then that's obviously a better use of my time. And also, from my experience just from being an actor at, at the Lyceum Theater years ago, there's a lot of bus people who come there too. So that's also an important part of a lot of theaters that are out here in the country where we don't have a uh, population base that's big enough to support us. So uh, my model is we try to get a third of our audience on the bus a third of our audience in about a 90 mile radius and then a third of our audience that would be truly local would be like in a 20 mile radius that's sort of what we shoot for what what are your percentage numbers on the theater usually do you, do you aim to be like 90 percent full what's what's a <laughs> oh we always aim to be 90 percent full um but probably where we've been coming down is about like 55 percent full uh we have 265 seats in our um in the system there are there are over 300 seats in the royal theater but some of the balcony seats in my opinion aren't the greatest so we don't even have them in our ticketing system hmm. um, so we have about 200 seats on the main floor and about 65 or 70 seats in the balcony at this time so one of the ad advantages for an audience member is that we very rarely sell out we've really only sold out what i would call a sellout maybe one or two times uh, we can always kind of shoehorn a couple more people in, <laughs> but there's, there's almost always space. And so that's nice for them, not so nice for us necessarily. Tell us a little about your season that's coming up this okay. year then. All right. <laughs> we'll yes. get to that finally. We got to get to it. <laughs> Woo, shoo. So uh, as I mentioned, You Can't Take It With You starts us off in June. And um, then that runs in rep with Greater Tuna, which is just a great, great fun comedy. It's featuring, it features two guys who play all the parts of the second smallest town in Tuna, Texas. And we're very happy to have Michael McIntyre and Sean Riley, who are two actors who have been with us a number of times. Uh, Sean Riley was first with us in 2005 when he he was just out of college. Um, he's been working ever since then. Michael McIntyre also has been with us um, a number of times. He's played a lot of lead roles for us. Both of them have. And so we're very excited to have the, those. So they're both coming together. in from out of town. So, yes, they're both coming from New York. Yeah. Okay. And so then after that, it's Phantom of the Country Opera, which is a really, really fun show. It just, it hasn't, it played in uh, Chicago is where its base was back in the 90s and played there for a long time, but kind of never got legs to move on to New York. It's just kind of been a regional sort of a semi-staple, uh, but it's a really, really fun piece. It's kind of a spoof on all things Phantom of the Opera and Andrew Lloyd Webber. There's all kind of jokes about that and then also about country music. And so both are just ripe sort of genres for uh, for lampooning. You know, there's the grand opera diva and what she wants to do and everything like that. But then the, the main story is this young up-and-coming diva. She's singing in Milan and she's on the cusp of being a great opera star, but her heart is in country music. So she wants to go back to Nashville you know, where her mama told her she was a good singer. And so she goes back and becomes a backup singer at the Country Palace. But she's such a beautiful singer that the denizen of the basement of the Country Palace, there's this old guy with a recording studio down there, and he becomes her sort of mentor. He tries to, to make her rise through the country music raps. And then, uh, anyway, so there's all that kind of Phantom of the Opera stuff. And it's very, very fun. Then in the fall, uh, we have Menopause the Musical, which is a great story about four women and all the menopause things. I don't know very much about that, but I'm going to learn. <laughs> and then Ripcord is a great little uh, play. It's a comedy 
drama about two women in a nursing facility. It's sort of an odd couple show uh, where one woman is, has a sunny outlook on life and one woman has a curmudgeonly outlook on life and they become roommates, of course. And so we learn about lots of issues through that ripcord. And that and, was at Talking Horse a couple of years ago with yeah. the fabulous Maggie Henson. Ah, yes, that's play. correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's David Lindsay Bear, also, who wrote, also wrote Fuddy Mirrors that I saw at Talking yeah. Horse a couple of years ago, too. <laughs> so uh, then... Um, I Love a Piano is our Christmas show next year. It's all Irving Berlin music, a score that goes from all of, of American <laughs> music from the turn of the century up, right up through the 50s. And uh, it's the story of a piano and how it kind of lives with different families throughout its history. It's singing, all singing, dancing, tap dancing. Everybody loves tap dancing at Christmas. <laughs> Do they? Yes. Okay. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Even those who don't know that they love it. That's correct. <laughs> now, in addition to your six productions, you also produce two cabaret concerts and you do shows for kids, plus some shows with kids. Um, what else? What about the cabarets? What are they coming up? Are so, they fundraisers? Uh, actually, no. They're, I mean, you, you buy a ticket for them. Um, <laughs> but we have one in the summer where the summer company is all there. And so at the end of the summer, we have a summer cabaret where everybody gets to do shows, songs that they want to do. And then the same thing kind of happens in the holiday cabaret in December. Uh, it's really just an opportunity for the folks who you've seen on stage, or maybe you haven't seen because they're in the costume shop or they're in the scene shop. Uh, they get to do a number, and uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, um, I wish you all the best for the season. I hope you'll come back and I would love chat to. some more. Sure. I'm, particularly, I'm particularly curious and slightly concerned about Menopause, the musical. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we may need to talk more about that. Um, my second act guest today has been Todd Davison, the artistic director for the Maples Repertory Theatre in Macon. Their 2020 main stage season opens on June the 17th with the comedy You Can't Take It With You. You can find out more about the upcoming season and buy tickets at maplesrep.com. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts at 89.5 FM. And as usual, we'll end the show with a look at some of the events that are coming up over the next few days in and around Columbia. The sixth annual Missouri Fest continues this weekend at both the Blue Note and Rose Music Hall. Tonight, the action is at Rose Music Hall, where they are staging the Missouri Jazz Fest in association with the Wheel with Swing Jazz Series. Tonight's show will feature Samantha Ferkey, Aker Foley Clark and Seif Group, TNT, which is Tom Andes and Travis McFarlane, and Bag Fly Free featuring Margaret Bianchetta. Show starts at 7.30 and tickets cost from $10. Across the way at Cafe Berlin tonight, there's an all-local show with Crooked Fix, Dream Squeeze and Blackwater starting at 9pm for a $5 admission. So a tough choice for music fans tonight. Tomorrow afternoon at 3, the Odyssey Chamber Music Series in collaboration with the Mid-Missouri Area Music Teachers Association presents its Kids at Heart Global Express Children's Concert at First Baptist Church and that includes African Dancing by Wantanara and for those who come early at 2pm an instrument petting zoo. It's a free concert but donations are gladly accepted. Tomorrow night the Blue Note hosts the Missouri Blues Fest featuring the Jeremiah Johnson Band, Amanda Fish Band, the Bel Airs and the Ina Cook Band. The show gets underway at 7.30 and tickets cost from $8 and at Rose Music Hall tomorrow the Missouri Indie Fest kicks off at 8pm with Hounds, Violet and the Undercurrents Dawson Hollow and the Sweaters and that show is also $8 dollars.
Sunday at 2pm, the Museum of Art and Archaeology continues its ad hoc film series with the 1941 classic That Hamilton Woman, starring Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier. The film is based on the true story of Emma Hart, who rose from poverty, married Lord William Hamilton, and then created a public scandal by having an affair with Lord Admiral Nelson. And Jabberwocky Studios presents its first musical theatre production this Sunday with two performances of Elf Junior at Stevens College's Windsor Auditorium. The two performances are at 3 and 6 p.m. Adult tickets $8 and $5 for children aged under 8. At the Columbia College Art Galleries, there are two shows on display this month. The Hardwick Gallery is hosting Jungle Gym by Ian Carey until January the 29th, and the Larson Gallery is showing Darker, Blacker by Bradley Butler until January the 31st. That gallery is open daily from 9 till 5 and is free to visit. Monday night in Jefferson City, there's a talk about the Amish in American popular culture by Dr. Stephen Reshley, who's the professor of history at Truman State University. His talk will be at the Missouri River Regional Library at 7pm and will explore Amish history and beliefs, explaining their descent from the Anabaptist movement of 16th century Central Europe and their subsequent experiences of persecution, migration and encounters with governments and laws. Meanwhile, at the Columbia Public Library on Monday evening, local author David James will be talking about his book, A Bird's Eye View of Columbia, circa 1869. The book's illustrations are bird's eye panorama sketches of the city by an itinerant artist who visited Columbia 150 years ago. David's talk is from 7 till 8pm in the Friends Room. Tuesday evening, Texas songwriter Charlie Crockett is at Rose Music Hall with Joshua Ray Walker. That concert starts at 8 and tickets are $15. Next Wednesday, the State Historical Society of Missouri is holding its inaugural Children's Storytime with oral historian Sean Rost. There are two story times, one at 10 a.m. and the other at 4 p.m. at the new Center for Missouri Studies on Elm Street. This inaugural story time will introduce young readers to Dan and Connie Burkhart's work, Growing Up on the River. And in Fulton next Wednesday, retired art professor Jane Mudd is giving a class at the Art House for artists looking to improve their skills. This is a session for intermediate to advanced adult artists, and the suggested donation is $10, and that class starts at 5 o'clock. Next Thursday, there is an opening reception at the Mildred M. Cox Gallery at William Woods University for their annual art faculty exhibition. That reception is from 4 till 6 and is free and open to all. The exhibit continues through February the 17th. At Ragtag next Thursday, there'll be a special screening of the 2010 documentary Louder Than a Bomb, which follows students from Chicago as they compete in the world's largest youth spoken word poetry slam. The screening starts at 6 and is also a fundraiser for the Midmo Louder Than a Bomb 2020 season. And finally, at Daniel Boone Regional Library next Thursday evening, musician Bob Bovey will be performing a concert of old time music on guitar, banjo, and auto harp. You have been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia, with me, Diana Moxon, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more arts chat and sneaky peeks behind the Mid Missouri Arts Curtain. Until then, stay arty, Columbia.